we're in a series about thriving, and I, I have this image, uh, not thriving, we're in an image about flir- <laughs> series about flourishing, and I love the song because it's about thriving. Great day to talk about, uh, to introduce that song because we're going to look at one of the four components of flourishing, and one of those is thriving. We're going to look at that today. So I was thinking about this image of thriving, like what is that? I was in Florida this week. I was down in Florida. It was sunny, 80 degrees in the 80s. Terrible place to be this time of year when you're leaving Seattle. And so we went up there, and uh, thank you. And then <laughs> there they are. Um, and so we, uh, I was down there, and I was visiting. I was down there for a church conference, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. But one of the things that I do is see my daughter. My daughter lives in uh, that area. She works in Tampa. And so we went to a place called Wachi Springs. Has anybody ever heard of Wachi? Wachee Springs, Florida? No, I didn't think so. So here's a picture of our kayak. We went kayaking in Wachee Springs, the state park, and there's this river stream that's just beautiful, clear water. I've never seen this uh, down there, and you could usually think it's swampy and everything, but there was this clear water, schools of fish swimming under the kayak. we like go up, and there'd be like birds, like right on the branches by our kayaks. They wouldn't fly away, and we saw these different varieties of birds, manatees swimming through, all kinds of, just life all around, lush, uh, kind of almost like a jungle forest you can see there. And so we kayaked this three-mile stretch of this river, and there just was this idea, this, this life all around us, right? Everywhere you look, something was alive and thriving, right? And that's actually a vision or what thriving looks like. In fact, biologists call this a thriving ecosystem. Like, so there's life all around. Now, there's another kind of ecosystem that we also are aware of, and it's called a collapsing ecosystem. In fact, if you're aware of climate change in our world, part of the concern around that is that there we're seeing a collapsing, global collapse of the ecosystem. So even though we can see the beauty of these little places called like Wikiwachi Springs, the climate around the world is actually in a, in a state we think it's collapsing around us. And so we don't, that's the, the community, the biologists around us and the scientists do, as well as, that, you know, and we think that that's happening. We see signs of this collapsing ecosystem, right? And we need to be aware of that. We need to address that. But the point here is this. I want you to think about this for a minute, about your own life, your own spiritual life. Think about your spiritual life. Is that a thriving ecosystem today? Or is it a collapsing ecosystem? Or maybe even a stagnant one, right? Stagnation means nothing's really depleting or collapsing, but nothing's really growing. Yeah, that would be stagnation. That's neither, neither one or the other. But where are you today? Where is your spiritual life today? How's your soul today, as we say often here in the church? How's your soul? Is it collapsing? Is it flourishing? Is it stagnant? And then we're going to talk today about what it is, what does thriving look like? What does this look like? It's interesting because positive psychology gives us this definition of thriving. Here it is. Here's what thriving looks like. Now, keep in mind that thriving is different than daily happiness. We talked about daily happiness last week, which is a combination of our moods, emotions, feelings, life satisfaction. That leads to our happiness. But this week, we're talking about what thriving looks like, and this is different than being happy or experiencing happiness. Thriving is this, best way to describe it. Number one, a li- living life to the fullest or best, our, you know, our best life or fullest life. Number two, that we're investing our personal resources into value-laden goals. That means we're investing ourselves in something that is meaningful and greater than ourselves. 
Number three, we have a clear understanding of our own knowledge, skills, and abilities and, and, what we in, and how we invest them. So we're self-aware of those things, what our limitations are, what we're good at, what we're not good at. So we are aware of those things and we bring what we're good at to this meaning and purpose. And then number four is authenticity. Authenticity is just being aware of who you are and being who God created you to be. And then also saying, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be somebody I'm not, right? Authenticity is, is a, we will not thrive if we're always trying to be someone we're not intended, that God didn't intend for us to be. So we don't thrive in those circumstances. Whenever we're not our authentic selves, as we say in positive, as people say in positive psychology, we're not really going to lead to thriving. And so this is a part of it as well. So that's, I just want you to hold on to that kind of understanding of thriving as we look at the Bible and look into the Bible and say, does Jesus have anything to say about this? (laughs) Does Jesus point us in this direction? Let's take a look at John chapter 10 today. John chapter 10 is is actually, we're going to read out of what's called the message version of the Bible. It's a different version, more of what we call a paraphrased version of the Bible. And it says this in John chapter 10. We're reading the first 10 verses here. He says, let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good, a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Now, Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good, sheep rustlers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real life, eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And that last part where it says more and better life than they ever dreamed of, a word for life used here is a Greek word called zoe, and it means this, life all around. It means there's life everywhere, life all around us, right? And so this idea, this, this thriving idea that Jesus has in this passage is really about that thriving, it's a similar picture of this thriving ecosystem, that that's where God wants to take, that's where Jesus wants to lead us and guide us and take us to. The key, though, is are we willing to listen to Jesus? Because if we're not willing to listen, or are we going to listen to those other voices in our lives that are taking us other directions and leading us to places that don't lead us to thrive, don't lead us to this life-giving, spiritual life-giving picture that Jesus is giving us, right? So he's saying is that those other voices that are coming in, you know, those voices that come in that are saying, follow your wants or follow your desires or follow this or follow that, rather than following Jesus, is like a thief, stealing you away from thriving, stealing you away from life. So there's a connection here in the passage. I don't know if you've heard heard it as clearly, but here's what I would say. There's this connection between what we would call calling 
or the voice of Jesus, right? That's illustrated here, and thriving. So that as a follower listens to the voice, the calling, the invitation, the summoning of Jesus, the leader, Jesus is going to lead us to thrive. That's the picture here in this illustration that Jesus is giving us. So there's the connection between calling and thriving. Calling and thriving. Now, we all have a call. We may not say that. I mean, some people call it a vocation. The word vocation actually comes from the Latin vox, which means voice, and listening to the summoning of a voice, right? That's a vocation. Uh, That could be a job. You know, we typically say job or career. I think there's a difference between a vocation and a career, a calling and a career. We'll talk about that a little bit in just a minute. But I want you to think about this idea that there's a voice from the good shepherd, from Jesus, that is calling you to follow. And what is that voice saying to you? Calling you. And notice that the description of thriving is very much in line with what we would call in the church a calling, right? That you bring you who you are, your authentic self, how God has created you to be, that you would invest your resources and who God is, who you are and your skills and abilities into something that is value-laden, greater than yourself, has meaning, has purpose. Notice that the description of thriving is that, and it's very much similar to the word calling that we use in the church. Thriving and calling are connected. They go together, and Jesus is using this as a, as a metaphor, as a story, as an illustration to show us how do, we, how do we get to this abundant, thriving life. I was in, uh, as I mentioned, I was in Tampa, and the reason I was in Tampa this week was not just because of the sunshine, but because I was going there to learn from what's called the underground church in Tampa. The underground church in Tampa, uh, before COVID, we'll talk before, you know, everything's like pre-COVID, after COVID. It feels like before Christ, after Christ, right, you know? Um, but I'd rather be about Christ, not about COVID. Um, but one of the things that they did, they had 200 missional communities or microchurches around the city of Tampa, and they call that the underground church. In fact, they didn't set out to create a church, but a church emerged called the underground church as made up of all these 200 missional communities, micro, what we would call microchurches, whatever label we want to use, right? And one of the things, I went with a pastor, a leader, uh, to one of them, and it was a I call it a tattoo parlor church. They were having church in a tattoo shop. I don't know what it's, what's the right, what do you call that today? Just a tattoo shop? Is that what it is? Anybody? Yeah, right. So they met in a tattoo shop. Now here's the thing. They met during normal business hours. They didn't like wait till the shop closed and then have church on the side. No, they actually went in there and they, there was a gathering area before you came in, when you came into the shop, there was a nice gathering area with couches and tables and everything, and then before you, and that's where you would kind of go before you got, uh, went back to get your tattoo. And so they would gather, this group would gather, they said they would tell a Jesus, they would tell a Jesus story and talk about the Jesus story. We call that Bible study in the church, but really that's what they were doing, asking questions about the Jesus story. They would have communion together there, they would pray together there, they would share their lives together there, and so they were a community that uh, micro church that met in a tattoo shop. And some of the folks that would attend would, as God was working in their lives, they would get tattoos. They, they'd get a Bible verse or they'd get 
a cross or a scene from the life of Jesus that was meaningful for them as they were worshiping and as they were following Jesus, there were times when God was working in their lives and they would go get a tattoo by, you know, they would leave and they'd go get a tattoo and come back and everybody would celebrate what God was doing in their life. And they became to form this community. I thought this was a beautiful illustration. And the other thing that happened was the, the, the leader of the group, he had a, two sleeves of tattoos. He had some cover-ups from old tattoos that he didn't want to have a part of his life anymore. And he was covering them up with scenes from the life of Jesus up one arm. And he was then working on the other arm. And each of them represented one of the stories of Jesus' life. I thought about this. In fact, if you look to your left and your right, what do you see? Like on the, look to your left and your right. What do you, what do you see in the walls of our church? What do you see there? Stained glass, right. Those stained glass were created to tell a story to remind us of a story of, of, in the Bible or of Jesus, right? That, the church has used stained glass throughout its history to tell the story of Jesus. And the connection I made when I saw his arms was, he's got stained glass on his arms. He's basically, his arms are now the stained glass of the church. It's not on walls or in windows, but his arms, his tattoos have become the stained glass. So everywhere he goes, he's able to relate the story of Jesus to the people he meets. And that's exactly what was happening in this shop. Now, the reason this shop, this, this microchurch existed is because somebody listened to the voice of Jesus. Somebody who was a follower of Jesus said, you know, I think I need to go to the tattoo shop and share Jesus with people there. Because here's the thing, and I'm, I'm going to just... I'm going to, this is an assumption. I doubt that any of the people in that tattoo shop would ever go to this church, to this church, the church that we know. They're, they're likely never going to set foot. They're not going to come in here. Like, they're not going to wake up one morning and go, hey, I'm going to go to First Church, right? They're not going to, that's not going to, that's probably not going to happen. It could happen. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but it probably isn't going to happen. And that's what that leader was doing. He was saying, you know, these are folks that are, that may not ever come to know God unless I go to them and listen to the voice of Jesus saying, go, right? Notice that in the text, Jesus calls not in the sheep, Jesus calls out the sheep. Jesus call, is calling the sheep out of the pen, not to stay in the pen. Notice that in the passage, in the story, right? He's calling them out. And so, the thing about the underground church, and I think is applicable to us today, is that every, the leaders of the underground church believe that every follower of Jesus is being called. Not just pastors, not just missionaries. Think about that. So what, is it, what does it mean to be a follower? This is a real simple question, and it has a real simple answer. It's not a trick question. What makes a person a follower of Jesus? The open question. What's that? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear it. Follow, right, exactly. What makes them a follower of Jesus is that they follow, which means they listen. A person who's a follower of Jesus is listening to the voice of Jesus and actually following it, right? If I, listen, if I hear the voice of Jesus but then do not follow it, I really can't claim to be a follower of Jesus, right? Or maybe the more likely situation is I follow when it's convenient or comfortable for me. 
that's maybe more the reality, right? You know, when it's comfortable, when it's convenient, then I'll listen to that voice. But what if that voice is asking us to do something that's not comfortable, not convenient? And are we willing to listen, right? That's the question. That's what makes a follower of Jesus. Here's the other thing. There's also in this passage a connection between trusting and thriving, right? So there's a, there's a connection here where the sh- in the illustration, the sheep trust the shepherd. And they trust the leadership of the shepherd, knowing that this shepherd will take them to this abundant life, this life all around place, right? This good pasture, right? It echoes, the, if you've ever heard of the Psalm 23, maybe if you've ever been to a funeral, you may have heard Psalm 23, which says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? I, I shall not want desire. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's from the King James Version. I apologize for how I have it memorized. But think about that. That is the idea. That's the image that Jesus is giving us here in this passage as well. This idea. It's life all around. It's zoe. Life all around, right? I want to pause here and just say this too. Um, Because we're talking about living life to the fullest or living life to the best. And there was a book that came out several years ago called Your Best Life Now. And I don't need to say any more about it. But I remember reading some of it. I read the first few chapters. And really, that is not about what Jesus is talking about here. (laughs) That is about what we call financial prosperity. Like this abundant life was described in that book as, you know, success and financial success, and and bigger houses, and nicer cars, and all these things that we would tie to financial prosperity. But that's, notice that the description of thriving from psychology, and the description of life here in in this passage from Jesus, and the description in Psalm 23, has nothing to do with financial prosperity. Nothing to do with it. That's not what Jesus is describing at all. Jesus is describing people who trust his voice, and his calling on their lives to go follow him wherever he leads, right? That's where the abundant life is found. That's where thriving is found. I actually had a a chance a couple weeks ago to meet and sit down in a small group uh, with Richard Stearns. Richard Stearns is the CEO of uh, World, retired CEO of of, uh, World Vision. He wrote a book called The Hole in Our Gospel, and uh, a lot of people have read that book. But I got a chance to sit down with him with some other business leaders and church leaders. And he was just kind of reflecting back on his time as CEO of multiple companies, including World Vision. And he came to the conclusion, uh, looking back over things, he said, you know, if I were to really lead like God wanted me to lead, I would keep these things in mind. And one of the things he kept in mind was this. He said this, your calling is more important than your career. Your calling is more important than your career. Now, calling has to do with thriving, right? But a lot of times when we think of our career, we're thinking about advancing our career, being successful, better you know, paying, uh, better you know, corner office with window, whatever it is that we imagine. We think about advancement in career oftentimes, and I think sometimes that voice within us that's calling us and drawing us to those things is not always the voice of God. It's not always about financial prosperity. It's not always, always about career advancement. 
And the key here, and what positive psychology is saying, what Richard Stearns has, has, has learned in his life, is that calling leads to thriving. <laughs> Listening to the voice of Jesus leads us to thrive and flourish and have abundant life. Not listening to that voice that says, get advance in your career, right? And it's really about learning to trust that voice, that calling, that Jesus voice over all the other voices pulling at us and gra- trying to grab our attention in life. That's the key to a follower. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To say, I'm going to listen to the voice of Jesus over all these other voices, some of them even internal voices of wants and desires and things that we want to do. And so this is what Jesus is calling. He's calling us to really follow him, to be who God created us to be, to, to invest ourselves in ways that challenge us and grow us and stretch us and also be ourselves. God, God's not asking us to be somebody we're not. And anytime we try and be something or do something we're not, who, is not who we are, that won't lead us to thrive in abundant life as Jesus promises. Let me give you just another example of what this looks like. Because a lot of times I think we've boiled, you know, as I said, we've boiled calling down to pastors and missionaries. Well, you're, if, if you're called, then you become a pastor. Or if you're called, you become a missionary, right? And so I had a, a young man come to me uh, years ago. His name was uh, Brian. And Brian came up to me and he says, uh, man, I think I'm, feel, I feel like I'm being called to be a pastor. And I said to him, well, let's test that theory, right? Let's discern that together. Let's see what God is saying to you. So I said, I, I want you to shadow, I want to invite you to shadow me for a day. You just come along and I'm going to take, we're going to start in the morning. We're going to go all day and into the evening. And it probably wasn't the best day to take Brian, but because it, it had like a finance budget meeting in it and a capital campaign, you know, like not the not the stuff that's like really, ooh, you know, exciting stuff, right? And so he showed up 8 a.m. that morning. We went from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. that night, meetings, staff meetings. He just kind of hung out with me all day. We went to lunch, went to, do, you know, everything. And he participated in all this and followed me. And he kind of just saw what, it was, what a day in the life of a pastor looked like. And uh, there was one stop that we made that day that I think stuck out to Brian and stuck out to me. And there was a gentleman in our church, his name was Dick, and he uh, was in the hospital. And he wasn't doing well, didn't, he had been in there for an illness, and he was in recovery. And I knew he didn't have a lot of energy, and so I called him that morning. I said, uh, is it okay if we come by, and Brian and I come by and see you today? Do you, is that okay? Because I don't want to drain your energy. I know you're healing up and recovering. And he said, no, come on by. Now, I, I did want Brian to meet Dick because Dick was the son of a pastor, and uh, he, he's not a pastor himself, but uh, this is what this, I'm going to tell you his story. So we go to the hospital. Brian and I go to the hospital. We meet Dick. Dick's not doing real great. Uh, he's, you know, low energy. He's healing up. And I say, you know, this is Brian. And I, I, love, I wanted you to meet Brian because Brian says he might be feeling called to be a pastor. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Dick perked up and his eyes got wide. And he goes, well, come over here and let's have a talk. Let's have a chat. You can, I get, all right, he was, in, he was going into his, his uh, story mode. And he talked about how he, his dad was a pastor his, his whole life. And everybody kept coming to him and say, you know, your dad's a pastor. You, you, you're going to be a pastor, right? And he felt the pressure from other people 
all the time to be a pastor. Like everybody was saying, you ought to be a pastor because he was a great disciple. He was a great follower of Jesus, and he was always sharing his faith with other people. And so people naturally thought, oh, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor. And Dick said, you know, if I listen to those voices over the voice of Jesus, I, I, I would have been doomed, right? What he was saying was, when I, when I listened to Jesus' voice, Jesus was saying, I'm not calling you to be a pastor, but I want you to be a follower of Jesus where you're at in the workplace. And so after he thought about it, prayed about it, and took some time, he went into the workplace and he shared his faith and he was a disciple, open discipleship in his place of work, and he was the hands and feet of Jesus where he worked. And many people came to know Jesus because he was in the workplace, because that's where God had called him to use his gifts, his abilities, right? So then after telling Brian this story, he looks at Brian and he says, if you're not called to be a pastor, don't do it. You, you, will, you, you can't do it. It's too hard without having a clear call from God to do it. And Brian like, hmm, very reflective. I called Brian up a week later and I said, Brian, how, how are you doing? Like, how was this, uh, how was your time, you know, last week? And wh- what do you think God's saying to you? And he says, I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to be a pastor. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it probably wasn't the greatest day to take you. But he said, you know, what stuck out to me was that conversation with Dick. And uh, I said, well, what do you think God's calling you to do? He says, God wants me to be Jesus and follow Jesus in the world of finance. And so he went into a job, he took a job in, finan- in the financial world, and he also brought Jesus with him. And now he is living in the marketplace but he's listening to the voice of Jesus. See, part of the issue, folks, is we've boiled the voice of Jesus. We've only slotted in Jesus to two possibilities, pastor, missionary. When God is actually calling all of us, every follower, to follow him and follow him into the mission that God has called us to, right? All of us have a calling. All of us are being invited into this abundant life and it's going to look different for each one of us. Some will be pastors. Some will be missionaries. Some will be CEOs. Some will be financial advisors. Some will be chefs and cooks. Some will be waiters and waitresses. Some will be whatever. It doesn't matter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great illustration. Right. Amen. Good job. Thank you. You know, I love that the Holy Spirit works that way, right? But I think you're right. Right. You know, like, our, we can be that air fresher wherever we go, right? You know, and we can be who Jesus called us to be where we're at, right? That doesn't matter. Uh, where we're at or where we're going, right? Um, Jesus wants us simply to listen to that voice, right? And that's where we'll experience abundant life. That's where we'll experience thriving. That's where Jesus wants to, to lead us to. And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't, I don't know what God's saying to you. I know God's saying something. I don't know what it is, but I think God's saying something. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. So let's pray. And I want you to just take a moment. Maybe this is a good time to say thank you, to be, have, offer gratitude, 
But it, maybe it's also a time for you just to pause right now in this space and just ask Jesus the question. Jesus, what are you asking me to do? So let's just do that right now. God, we come to you today. We thank you for being here. We thank you for the gift of Jesus who loves us and leads us and loves us so deeply that he wants to lead us to this abundant, thriving life. And so, Lord, would you speak to us now? I don't, we don't know whether you'll speak audibly right now or maybe tomorrow or next week, but, Lord, we just pause right now and we just simply ask the question of you, Jesus, what are you asking me to do? Lord, help us to be people who listen to that voice of Jesus, to follow it, to let Jesus lead us, to call us out, to summon us to this abundant life. We pray in Jesus' name. And we come to this table today, this table of grace and love and a fragrant reminder of your love for us that we're to carry with us from this place today. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on, these, on us? Would you continue to speak to us as we come to this table today? Would you continue to call us, invite us, as you show us your love and grace in this table of gift, this, these gifts of bread and cup? And may they be the body and blood of Christ for us today, reminding us that we are yours, that we belong to you. You're, we're, we're your people, loved by you, called by you, and given grace by you and forgiven by you because we realize we're, we can sometimes be broken and messy along the way. Thank you that you heal us and call us at the same time. And Lord, would you pour out your spirit on each of us as we come to this table today and we pray that you would, with that prayer that every follower has been taught to pray throughout the centuries, it's called the Lord's Prayer and it goes like this, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.